The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen. You are listening to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool makers doing cool things in the state of Minnesota. And today we have Andy Wright, who has an organic barbecue sauce company called Triple Crown Organic Classic Barbecue Sauce. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Stephanie. I'm yeah. gr- very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. Um, let's just talk about the business angle for a second. Uh, you did not start Triple Crown Barbecue Sauce, so how did right. you find out about it? Well, I happened to be working at an organic food distributor oh. uh, at the time, so this was uh, six years ago, Yeah, six and a half, and I was the person who brought Richard's uh, barbecue sauce, which was called Triple Crown, into our uh, warehouse, and I was selling it. So I was intimately aware of it, and I loved the product. Yeah, myself. and and the story about Richard is kind of interesting. He apparently entered a barbecue, the sauce at the state fair, and he won three blue blue ribbons, ninety four, ninety seven, and two thousand one, which is really kind of cool. It's that's hard to do. Exactly, and that's I mean, it was a lifelong ho- hobby of his. Uh huh. And uh, the the contest certainly was affirmation of the of the product itself, and became the name of the product, uh, translated into Triple Crown, the three blue ribbons at the state fair. Yep, that's where it came from. And in any case, he had uh, decided to commercialize the business for a couple of years, uh-huh. and that was the time when I became acquainted with the product. And then, um, for a couple of different reasons, he uh, and he decided that he wanted to not be in the business of selling barbecue sauce commercially. And so what was going to happen was the whole business was going to go away because uh-huh. it wasn't, it's hard to sell a, a new and small business in a category of products that's so competitive. I was going to ask about that because the sauce category and barbecue sauce in particular is a super competitive field. Yes. They, we, we, uh, they, there are few barriers to entry. So yeah. if you're interested in making this product, you know, on almost any scale, you can make it. It's not a complex product to produce. So hence we have uh, in certain stores, you'll see a wall of barbecue sauce. I mean, in almost like three different three sections, for example, you might see uh, like 30 or 40 different brands at a store. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. And it anyway, so it didn't seem like a good idea based on that I, you know, based on the fact that there's so many, you know, so many types of barbecue sauces out there, but I also knew that I loved the product and I thought, well, why not? Because it's just going to go away. What it did was you love about it? Like, why did it stand out to you? Because if you were selling organic products, you'd been exposed to lots of things. Well, it was the balance of the recipe. And this was the, the classic recipe that um, we've altered a little bit because at the time, it was not a certified organic product. Right. And so that was one of the changes that we made relatively early on. But it was the, the fact that it was a true Kansas City-style sauce that had broad appeal. And to me, I wanted to take 
a product that I loved that had broad appeal and then just take it up a notch by making the organic, uh, the certified organic thing happen as well as making it a gluten-free and vegan product so to broaden its appeal. Yep. So you had had experience in that world, the organic world, which tends to come with either vegan or gluten-free. So when you got the product, did you know right away that that could be like something that would make you stand out? Well, I knew that the competition, or I know that the competition is fierce out there And I know in, in regard to packaged food. And I also realize that niches, uh, as is quite obvious now, you know, any niche that you can occupy that appeals to people that have special dietary needs is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So if, if we, first of all, the product has to taste great, but if you can check a few boxes after that, you're going to put yourself in a much better position in the marketplace. And that's certainly why we did well right off the bat in the co-ops. And then as we got into Whole Foods stores, People obviously they have to love the product, but if you if they have dietary either restrictions or just preferences that you can uh, connect them, you know you can connect them with a product that works for them. Wow, I mean it works and it did work. Yeah. So when you were selling organic products at the distributorship, and then you had you take on this barbecue sauce. Do you mind it? Did you did you buy the product up front, or did you have a relationship with Richard that you bought him outright, or was it that he had a percentage over time? Ah, uh, yes. Now it seems like ancient history. <laughs> so <laughs> I had left the distributor, so now I was doing other projects, and then uh, I bought the the company from him, so the name and the recipe and yep. the website and all that. And then we provided, uh, part of the contract was a percentage of sales for yeah. the first three years. Okay. I so, almost forgot about that. <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> well, a lot of times when people people are curious about selling a company, because it's rare, I think, that you sell a company outright. There's a lot of times performance agreements that are on the back end of mm-hmm. the of the agreement to keep everybody sort of interested and keep the momentum going. So, like, do you remember your first day where you were the owner of this product and, like, your thoughts that you were having? <laughs> Most of my thoughts were, you know, is this crazy? <laughs> because I, I, and I still feel that way actually today to some extent, because it's not something that I've had experience in doing on my own. I've worked for larger companies so right. for the distributor. I had worked for Organic Valley out of Wisconsin, but that was marketing work. So I was never actually technically responsible for producing and selling a product. Yeah. But I've been surrounded by different products and the marketing thereof, you know, for many, many years, most of my professional life. So from the get-go, you knew you needed to get a co-packer and kind of go that route. You're not versus sitting in a kitchen making the sauce yourself. Right. And that was key. And if that hadn't happened, it would this wouldn't be happening right now because so, I had found the right match in a company in Northeast Minneapolis. What is that company? They're called Fisher's United Supply. And, and you the, said it's a family-owned co-packer? Yeah, it's a family-owned business. They're actually, the base of their business is food distribution. So they have a small warehouse in Northeast, but they also have the facilities to produce products like ours because they had been producing products that they were distributing themselves since, I don't know when, a long time. Yeah, it's good for people to know about because people are always looking for good co-packers. Yeah, because honestly, there are a lot of things that go into making something work out well. And without without Fishers, this never would have worked out well. Because it, yeah, for one thing, the economics just don't work out well in terms of the time that you have to spend if you're actually producing something, right. and then also the 
in, in really important is the supply lines for ingredients. And so Fisher's being an ingredient distributor has very, very long-term relationships with ingredient uh, suppliers. Mm-hmm. And honestly, in terms of making the product cost-effective uh, at retail, we had to focus, especially in the first two years, of getting our ingredient costs down. And that was all about two things, volume, purchasing, and finding the right suppliers. Right. Um, so that's kind of what you're doing the first couple of years. You're getting the product fine-tuned with your co-packer. You're getting your ingredients solid. You're trying to figure out what your price point is going to be. Yes. Most most makers don't have like the depth and level of sales experience that you do. That's true. So has that been, like, that's your ace in the hole, right? Well, I I had a pretty clear understanding of what works at retail. Mm-hmm. you know. So I was able to look at the price point issue and get to a decision point really quickly. And knowing at the time that, in fact, our production costs were too high to justify that price, but I had faith that we could get our production costs down over the years, and we did. Um, so is there like a like a checklist in your hand, by the way, where you're like, okay, I'm a small business person. I am making this product. These are the areas that I need to make sure we're hitting it out of the park before I take this to market any further. Well, the most important thing is quite obvious is that your product has to have appeal. Mm-hmm. So in, if it doesn't, and I, that's the thing, one of the things that I knew up front, this is an appealing product, mm-hmm. even before it became an organic How product. do you know that, though? Because everybody thinks that they're like, oh, I've got, you know, my Janice's sauce, and <laughs> it's really great. Janice says so, and so does everybody else. Like, you know, you've been around the block. Can you look at a product and just be like, oh, yeah, I don't know if this is going to work? Or, Well, it's such a – you have to – I mean, it can be complicated. I mean, Janice or whoever – there are a lot of great recipes out there, but yeah. the question is can you – take that recipe and, and make it make that product in a cost-effective manner and distribute it in a cost-effective manner? And is there the demand out there? I mean, this goes back to the the original um, challenge of being in, in a uh, category that is so loaded with competition. People buy it. I mean, it's not some, it's people, yep. pe- there's, there's a large a demand. New... Yeah, we're not, right. We're not creating some new kind of sauce that no one's ever heard of that, wow, it might be great, but no one's ever heard of it and there's really no demand. So then you'd have to go out and educate people. And, and doesn't that seem daunting? Like there's been people that have sat in your chair here that have talked with me that, you know, they have a great sauce, but they're having to like really educate people all the time about what it is. It's super daunting because you're talking, I mean, even with what we've done with a familiar product, it takes a lot of time and energy to market the product to people effectively the demos the events the just getting out the word on your product but if you have to go that next step and you're actually trying to create different patterns Mm -hmm. that don't exist right now in terms of oh i'm going to start buying this purple sauce that i've never used before i love it and i'm going to keep buying it and i'm going to keep using it well that costs a lot of money i mean generally speaking like you'd have to have a small fortune uh or just the most miraculous product in the world right but still changing people's habits as, you know, as an older person now, <laughs> I realize that it's pretty tough. That is, it's tough to change people's habits. It's, yeah. You know, people uh, are falling, they fall into grooves and, and there are certain people that are always trying new things, but most people aren't. 
You've expanded the product line so that you have more than just the classic sauce. What other brands do right. you have, and why did you expand and extend? Well, there was a to me there were variations on our recipe that were obvious to explore because there are people. I mean, the the second product that we made was a cayenne, uh, which is a hotter version mm-hmm. of the the classic, and then this this last winter we came out with two new products. And partially, I mean, I'm inspired about both of these products, but also when you're growing in retail, is it, it really helps to have multiple products. Not necessarily every retailer will carry all of your products, but the more what they call facings, the more uh, mm-hmm. bottles that you have on a shelf if someone's looking at a shelf and they see Triple Crown three times or four times instead of once or twice, it's going to make a huge difference. In terms, of, I mean, again, the product has to be something people want, but they're not going to notice you. It's really it's easy to get lost in in the retail settings, especially now that we're entering into stores like Cub and larger uh, right. retailers where uh, it's you know it's it's very easy to get lost, and everyone knows why. Uh, we've been treated to a really kind environment. Let's say the first three or four years when we were just selling at co-ops and specialty retailers and whole foods and you even with two bottles or three you could you'd see us Mm -hmm. but as we've gotten out into the meaner world (laughs) we we really needed more products than than we had and so that's why we we just and there were i could go into there's more of a backstory to this but the fact that we have a the new black garlic sauce which is an aged garlic completely unique product and then also the hickory bourbon there are as far as I know, there are no black garlic uh, American style barbecue sauces. Let's talk in about the that because black garlic is a fairly new ingredient on the trend watch list, but yes. people don't know about it, haven't heard about it. So, what was it about black garlic that appealed to you in a in a barbecue sauce? Well, okay, so I was completely ignorant of what it was at all up until 13 months ago. I went to the Minnesota Garlic Festival in sure. Hutchinson. And we oh, happened... I love that that's where you found it. <laughs> I know. it's Well, it was a very organic uh, process. So I, we were next to a black garlic producer from Mankato, and it didn't take more than uh, half of the day, I guess, being next to them and then trying the product and realizing that that particular ingredient was going to be awesome. It's a perfect fit mm-hmm. for our barbecue sauce because it has... It has the array. The I can, it's hard for me to describe what black garlic tastes like. Maybe you have an idea. You know, it's like a smoky molassesy. Um, yeah, super pungent. Um, and also there are health benefit claims, which we won't get into. But the fact the flavor profile survives in what I consider to be a, a pretty rough environment because the Kansas City style sauce that we make is very strong. I mean, right. The flavor, the tomatoes. You know the the. The whole thing is it's hard to put something in there and then know that it's there. Whereas black garlic, you know, it's there. Right. And it's it's not a big part of the recipe, but it completely transforms the experience. And in fact, at events that we've done this year, it's outperformed the original product, the classic. And it's interesting. Yeah. People want to try something new and sort of. they're They're captivated. Yeah. And I was captivated early on by the idea. And then we started filling around with recipes last fall and then. We had our first production run last December, That's which so was cool. quick. It took about four months. Is it like 
On the one hand, I liked your explanation for I need more facings to be in bigger stores and I need to have a bigger part of the shelf. But on the other hand, is it nerve wracking as the inventor? Because, you know, every uh, like it's always cool to work on something new, but every skew dilutes the emphasis on the original. That's true. I mean, it's a balancing act. Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't, it took me a long time to come out with a third and fourth product because I wasn't, I didn't feel it. You know, I wasn't inspired. I was like, I don't want to make something just for the sake of making something. There's so many different barbecue sauces out there. And I didn't, I was just like, I don't want to do a copycat product. And that's why the black garlic caught my attention because I don't really think it dilutes at all from our original. I think it's, it's just a standout product that and it's a good story it's a good story and it's a really it's always interesting to talk about with people because most people i'd say about 10 percent of the people we meet know what that ingredient is right right and then uh it's that it's not at all like fresh garlic i mean it doesn't even resemble fresh garlic in terms of the the flavor or the aroma do you remember like getting into whole foods like do you remember getting that call so there are a couple stages there um we were really fortunate. I was just telling someone about this the other day. It's like, how did you get into Whole Foods? Well, we were really fortunate in terms of the fact that there were two stores opening up during the first year that we were in business. Mm-hmm. And they had a, as a result, they had a, a local vendor fair and they invited a bunch of local food companies. And I I signed up like a day late and I got in. <laughs> I was like, someone told me about it. I'm like, oh my God, I got to, I got to get in this thing. And they, so anyway, I went and we got accepted into the new stores that were they were building on Hennepin downtown mm-hmm. and out in Maple Grove. And also I tell people, you know, regarding this issue that if a store is new, you know, that's a lot. It's a whole different story than an existing store. We tried to get into the other Whole Foods for for years and we didn't get in because in order to get into an existing store, they have to get kick something out. Right. Whereas in a new store, they're just building the set. You know, so we were really... We were really fortunate. That's all I can say. And then also, once we did get into those first two stores, I did a, tons of demos myself. So Let's I put, talk about that. that uh, was, yeah, that was integral. It was uh, a little bit over the top, but I knew from my experience in the past in relation to marketing that if you you got to get out there and meet people, you have to personalize the product. And one thing, and you have to you know promote people trying the product. And I know that when you look at competition uh, on the shelves, uh, large companies can't do that. Mm-hmm. They can't personalize their product. We don't have many advantages as a small company, but that's one of them. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's the guy. That's the Triple Crown guy. Right. So we got a bunch of really awesome support from co-ops and Whole Foods and other stores that they liked the product. They knew me and we got extra good placement. We 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 were recommended to their buyers and now for example that store in maple grove the whole food store is just on fire we have so much business there and it's not because i'm doing demos anymore because i'm not out there i mean i do special events but the momentum was built and that momentum got us into the whole um, midwest region of whole foods a year or about 16 17 months ago we were invited to be in all 55 stores so we're now across the upper Midwest and all the Whole Foods stores. And was that an exciting call to get? Yeah, it was kind of, (laughs) you can't depend on anything happening, even if it seems to make sense. Um, 
business wise, you know, when they said, yeah, you're in, I was like, wow. And it was super gratifying for one thing, because I had put so much time and effort my personally into nurturing the Whole Foods accounts in the Twin Cities. So there are seven stores here. We built a reputation here that translated into that next step. So to me, for all of those extremely long and somewhat painful days that I spent <laughs> hawking barbecue sauce inside, inside the Whole Foods stores, it paid off. Right. You know, but it, and you can't, there's no other way to present yourself effectively to a buyer um, than having a sales record. Right. Like, People this want is what's sales. happening. Yep. And it, and obviously that gives them some reason to believe that it's gonna, it can happen somewhere else. Of course, it's harder for us to sell uh, outside of Minnesota because we don't have the, the Minnesota thing going on. You know, it's not a local product anymore, and, and I'm not the one personalizing it going to Chicago. Well, let's talk about that because are you you're trying to grow in Europe? Well, that's a whole other story. So we've been <laughs> we've been selling in Europe and other places outside of the country for about three years, and we do we started producing our product uh, in of all places in Lithuania. So we found a co-packer in Lithuania that started to produce product. How did that even like come to be? Did someone call you from Europe and say, we want your product? I, well, we've gone to trade shows, multiple trade shows in Europe and landed accounts. And I landed a, uh, and that was started three, three three years ago, three and a half. And uh, I developed a a relationship with an agent in Denmark and he, uh, and I had been working together to get product placement over there and just dealing with all the crazy logistics in terms of, you know, creating different labels, of course, for the product, creating a different bottle size. And then is it sh- worth it to go to all that trouble? I mean, well, part of this has just been pure entertainment <laughs> because okay. it, is, it is novel. I mean, I, I'm not in, I like the novelty of it. I mean, it's not been easy to do any of that and it's still, much more challenging than selling barbecue sauce in the United States. I mean, right. It, it's tricky. And one thing I've, the reason that we ended up producing, starting to produce over there is because the price competition is so hard. It's so radical over there that we couldn't compete at all with, even at my best pricing from right. here. So then uh, my buddy over there in Denmark uh, found a co-packer that makes our kind of kinds of products. We met them at a, Last fall, in fact, at a food show in Germany, and we had our first meetings, and then I went over to visit their facility at the end of last year, and then it took another five months to get everything lined up. I mean, it took a long time to get everything, all the you know, the proper sampling that they had to do, but we had to get them a bunch of ingredients. That was the trickiest part, right? Because there are certain ingredients that we have over here that I we could not source over there. Like including the black garlic, including the organic bourbon, and a few other ingredients that we couldn't source. So it was quite a challenge for me <laughs> to get all that over there, and then it has to go through the. It not only has to go through the customs and the normal kind of stuff that you have to go through, but and then the organic certification. Sure. So it's a whole another layer. It was nerve wracking. But is it successful? Like, do people see this like American barbecue sauce and think, "Wow." Well, the jury's out. We're selling, yep. you know, but I think we'll know uh, in about six months. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool that you at least tried it. You seem yeah. like you're. I mean, kind if it doesn't work, it's not the. <laughs> I don't know why I'm a risk taker. I feel like 
part of me is and part of me isn't, but I, I wanted to give it a shot and I knew that people liked the product. Again, it was like here, I knew that people appreciated the product because I had been to X number of trade shows where we've got awesome feedback. Yeah. So then the product's good. So then are your logistics good and is your pricing good? I yeah. Mean, those are the other pieces of the puzzle. And the marketing. How do you market this? Here, here, or there. Here. Well, here, it's we're all we're doing is we continue to do some amount of in-store demos, but the the most powerful thing that we do is price promotion. I'm yeah. sorry to say. It's not very glamorous, uh, but it... It gets people's attention, so we're trying to promote new trial, obviously. And the, if if someone's shopping in Chicago and they see our brand on the shelf, no, they don't have any idea what it is or where it came from. But if it's if it's you know at a price point that they can just say, okay, I'm just going to try it, let's do it. So that's what's most of our marketing right now, honestly, is just promoting. Yeah, price wise. Yep. People see the yellow tag. Well, it's a great looking product. It's super tasty. And I think I first had it about a year ago. Um, are you still, you don't do like farmer's markets at all and that kind of thing anymore, do you? So we did a lot over the years at the Mill City Market mostly. Yep. And that was, a, again, a chance for us to meet people and get feedback. Yeah, and, people really see these farmer's markets as more like incubators for their business. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely offer that as advice to anybody thinking about producing a commercial product. It, it's the one way, you know, do people react positively to your product? Do they buy your product? Do they come back next week or later in the summer and buy more? And, and you know that kind of feedback, you know, is invaluable. You know, and you're and you're there yourself, right? Yeah. So you're getting it, and you can decide, oh, this isn't going to work, or it could work, but I'm going to have to tweak the recipes or make sure the price point is X or Y or Z. I mean, I would also argue though that the co-ops here, especially, are just we are blessed Very. by having uh, such a robust uh, co-op scene in the Twin Cities and Minnesota and, and at large. We Those are the stores that were, uh, you mentioned risk-taking, those are the stores that take some risks that normal stores don't take, generally speaking. They'll sit, they, if they believe in something, um, they'll, they'll bring it in. They'll, they'll obviously want you to come in and represent your product as well, but... The co-ops are what made this business work. I think it's a good idea to remind two. customers, too, to support the co-ops, because if everything becomes sort of the big commoditized chains that I know from the business standpoint, you want to be able to grow. But to support like the Kowalskis of the world and the co-ops that we have locally and the Lunds and Byerleys and people that are small enough that they'll take a chance on a new product it, a, it's a big point of differentiation for them that they have the local support and that they will debut local products. Mm-hmm. But B, if we continue to support them as consumers, you know, if you don't want to do all your shopping, they're fine. But take a spin through them every now and then to mm-hmm. look at these new products because they do a lot of the – I feel bad sometimes because they do a lot of the legwork about getting these local products launched. And then, you know, the local products end up in Hy-Vee and they end up in right. Cup Foods and – I, I think they feel good about that they helped launch some of these products, but I think as consumers, it's important to remember that if we want diversity in our our products, we need to support that too by visiting the local places. And yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I, the to this day, the the co ops are incredibly important for us. And those are the you know the chains like the Lakewind stores have been so proactive and helpful over mm-hmm. the years. It's hard to even give them enough credit. Frankly. Um. 
Are there, before, as we're getting ready to wrap up here, are there other products that you see, like, that you just think, oh, that person's going to make it? Like, are there any products that you recommend or? <laughs> uh, no, that's funny. Uh, no, I'm just too obsessed with my own product to, <laughs> uh, to worry about. I've been, honestly, I don't, I wish I had an answer right now. I should have an answer, but I don't. I'm afraid. All right. No problem. Um, how do you get inspired? Like, do you read business magazines? Do you look at Instagram? Like, how do you get your creative juices flowing to get back out and sell again? Or Good question. It's it's less creative, actually, at this point and more because we're not, I'm not looking at, we're, we're going to tweak uh, or create a new recipe or two in the near future. But the main thing right now is to have my... Uh, head screwed on straight in the business realm because as we get into stores, chains like Cub and others, yep. it becomes a whole different ball game in terms of deciding, okay, can we afford this expansion? Yep. Does it, you know, what are the odds that it's going to work? Because before we never had to, there was never a concern. The right. Concern was, okay, is this business going to work? But I'm just dumping, you know, my time and money into it. Yes, to some extent, but now we're, making these leaps so we're in over 500 stores and we it always now that we're in the more commercial or i guess the mm-hmm. commercial realm uh the, the the world of super value and such um it's a there's some big rolls of the dice that i've never had to take right. before and i can't run out there like i used to and say okay we're going to get into this new store or store groups and i'm going to go do you know three or four demos this month and the store staff are going to get to know me and we're going to make this work. Well, that doesn't, it's not happening anymore. Yeah, it's like a different that. business model. Now we just have to, are we choose? we have to choose the right places to be and, and make some kind of educated decision as to whether or not we can afford the risk because mm-hmm. you never know if it's going to work. So now it's, I don't feel very creative right now. I've just been dealing with a lot of, um, I've had to spend a whole bunch of money this year. And yep. so now I'm just, I need to kind of back off little bit. Do you put it relax. just on your credit cards or? Well, pretty much so. Yeah. I mean, I've been, obviously I'm, I'm investing money that we're earning too, sure. but it's, it also, you know, pretty much any new store that you're going into, you're going to have to give them a free case of product yep. of every type. So in our case now we have, if we have four products and we're giving a store, if we're getting into 130 new stores. We'll multiply yep. that by four. And so that's a, that's a huge investment and you don't see any cash flow obviously yep. <laughs> for the first x number of pallets of products sold so right now i do actually i thank you for bringing up the idea of creative juices i do want to get back into that because we we need to focus on what's happening next year mm-hmm. and so that's where the efforts that we make in social media and maybe some other more creative um marketing techniques that we might dive into they need creative thought, and I'm good at that. I just that's kind of been blocked out lately by the we'll realities. In, we'll invite you back <laughs> after next year. Okay. We'll, uh, what we happened? Have, we have like 107 podcasts, I think, so far, and we're just circling back to talk to people that it's been 18 months now since we talked to them originally, and some of these businesses have just changed so much; it's crazy. Yeah. So we'll revisit you to see kind of what that next creative Great. spark looks like. Yes. Thank you for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks, Stephanie.